we were encouraged to think about what happened seven years ago. A lot can change in seven years, that's for sure. This morning on Facebook, you know how you get these, at least I do, I, I think the rest of you guys do, you get this every day to tell you what happened a number of years back. Has this happened to you? So, five years ago, there's a picture of my children on the first day of school. I guess five years ago, whatever today is, August something or other, 23rd or something, I don't know, was the first day of school. I look at this picture from five years ago. Did you guys get it? I texted it to you. You were so little then. You were so little. You know, it just, it, just, it just grabs your heart to think what can happen as time goes by. Good things and bad things, right? A lot has happened in our lives of our church members over the last seven years. Today I want to look at the life of Noah. And I want us to get into his world. If you haven't been with us, we've been walking through the first 11, 12 chapters of Genesis. And today we land in Genesis chapter 9. If you want to turn your Bible, it's, you can find it. It's there at the front. Okay, The way we do it, just so you know. I just want you to know the way we do it here at Centerpoint. We take sections of Scripture and we teach through them, verse by verse, word by word, all the way through. We, like we go through a whole book of the Bible, say the, book, the, the Gospel of Luke or, or the book of Colossians. And, and for the summer, we took chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis. And we called it our beginnings. And we took this time to, to look at things that happened the first time on the earth. We had where God created the heavens and the earth, and then there was the first man and there was the first sin. We had the first rivalry between brothers, the first murder. We had the first example of God's judgment on the earth when He brought a great flood and killed all but eight. And so today, when we jump into Genesis chapter 9, We're at the end of that flood. And Noah now, with his family, he and seven others, are exiting this this great vessel that God instructed him to build and was the vehicle of how they survived. And I want us to understand what is going on in Noah's mind. Noah, a true man that really lived, who Jesus Himself spoke of in real terms. He's not a mythological idea. Noah is a true historical figure. And he really made a boat. And the earth was really overrun with water. And you see evidence of it all over the world. You see large rock formations. And you see the evidence of what God did when He broke open the earth and the water from underneath the ground rushed forward and flooded the earth. Flooded the earth. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and yet the water continued to flood for 150 days as God broke open the deeps and covered the whole earth with water. And in your mind's eye, if you can picture that, there, on the water floating, was a huge watercraft, almost the size of this whole building. And on it was exactly what God had instructed Noah to place. Two of every kind of animal, seven of the clean ones, seven pairs, and and God was allowing Noah to care for these animals. And God preserved His creation through this. For one year, Noah and his family were on that boat. And now, they're beginning to exit. 
I want you to think about what was going on in Noah's mind. Can you get in his shoes? Think about what he just saw. And now he's probably filled with anxiety. I mean, he saw the judgment of God. Think about it. Every single person that Noah had ever met, other than his family, was dead. They all died. And he knew it. Rain had fallen on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and the waters continued to rise for a total of 150 days. Many scholars believe that that may have been the first time that it had ever rained. We don't know for certain, but it's certainly a possibility. But whether it rained or not, they'd never seen that before. They'd never seen that before. And now the water is residing, and, and, and there's land there. And think about what Noah sees. The devastation on the earth. Can you imagine this? Very likely there's the remains of animals. The vegetation has just been up and washed away. I mean, imagine what he has seen. And imagine what he knows this is. He knows. God told him exactly what this is. God brought his judgment on man. And Noah knew it. He knew better than anybody else what the judgment of God looks like. And he knew what brought it. The sinfulness of man. And I don't know about you, but if I'm Noah, I'm thinking, is it going to rain again? What if I sin, right? And Noah knows himself. He knows he's a sinner. He's made of flesh like you and me. He has a sin nature, so believe me. He's sinning. They're in the boat. He's sinning. So you wonder, what's he thinking? Is God going to do this again? If I mess up, if I do wrong, is God going to rain on the earth again and wipe me out? Tell me those thoughts weren't going through his mind. We know that they were. Noah was afraid. Noah was confused. He didn't know what the future held. He had no idea what the future held. He didn't have Genesis 10 through Revelation. Understand that, right? He didn't know what was coming. He was confused, filled with fear. He didn't know what to do. So look in your Bible. Let's see what he did. When you don't know what to do, when you don't know where to go, when you're afraid and confused and you're just tossed and turned and you don't know what to do, Think about Noah. You know what he did? He worshipped. He worshipped. He didn't have every question answered. He didn't have every theological debate finished. Believe me, Noah had ethical questions. Believe me, he's a man. But he knew God. So go with me in chapter 8. We'll start back in verse number 20. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the Lord, and it pleased God. He worshipped. And let me just say, sometimes that's all we can do. It's all we can do sometimes is just worship. Just worship. 
Just cry out to God. God, I don't know what you're doing. I think of John there in the basement of his mother's house. I don't know what you're doing. He was an unbeliever and he was crying out to God in worship. I don't know what you're doing. But I'm going to worship you. Jump down to verse 1 of chapter 9. Let's read our passage for today. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, as I gave you the green plants, it is, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh within its life, with its life that is, that is its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it from man. From his fellow man, I require a reckoning for the life of man. And in case you don't know what he's talking about, verse 6 helps us understand what the Lord is saying there. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Verse 8, new paragraph. Then God said to Noah and his sons, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you, and every living creature that is with you, for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant as between me and you and every living creature of of flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all the flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. And I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on earth. And God said to Noah, This is is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. The first rainbow? Maybe. I don't know. Was there a rainbow before this day? Potentially. We don't know for sure. But now it has meaning. Now it has meaning. And I want us to understand today what the meaning of the rainbow is. Now I know that people have taken the rainbow and they're coloring their Facebook you know, picture with it and all that kind of stuff, and a new meaning has been attached to the rainbow. But you know what? God established His meaning long, long ago. And I want us to understand that because it is very fitting for you and for me. It's important for us to understand what this rainbow means. And trust me, by the time we're done, you're going to be very thankful. Very thankful for what God has done in placing his bow in the sky. Let's just walk through this and and start out here at the beginning of the chapter and just hit a few things. I want you to see mankind's new life under grace. 
Mankind's new life under grace. And now understand that man has always been under grace. Grace has been the only way that God has allowed for man to approach himself. Grace means I receive what I never could earn on my own. That's what it means. And now God is going to pour upon the earth His grace. And we're going to see a few things that are going to happen here at the beginning. Just to kind of set the, 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 the rest of the, the tone for what's going, to, what's going to happen here in the rest of our chapter. I want you to see a couple things here. In verse number 1, the mission of multiplication is to continue. Verse 1 says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So Noah and his sons and their wives come out and God says, fill the earth. Almost the same thing that God said to Adam. Almost. It's a little different. And we need to recognize that every single one of us, no matter how we look, no matter the, the, the color of our skin, no matter how our facial features are shaped, we are all descendants of Noah. Understand that today. We are one race, the human race, descendants of Noah. And God said to him, be fruitful and multiply. And believe me, they did. They did. And filled the earth. And I want you to see here just a few other things. Verse number two, their diet now is broadened. Okay, so they've got this mission of multiplication and their diet is broadened. It says that the fear of you will be upon every beast of the earth. You know what that means? Now animals are going to be afraid of you, Noah. What does that indicate happened? Before this, I guess that wasn't the case. Lions and, you know, tigers and bears, there was no oh my. Because they were friends with Noah. Just like they will be in the millennial kingdom, by the way. We've talked about that. Doesn't that help us understand how life might have operated on the ark? People say, well, how is that possible? They'd all eat one another. That can never happen. Skeptics love to find some little loophole and build their whole life on that. God placed fear in the animals from here on. Now, it is very interesting when you compare it back to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, there's one group of animals that God didn't do this with. It's labeled the cattle. It's the domesticated animals. Do you know why that cow doesn't run away when I walk up to it? Not because it's so stupid. It doesn't know any better. Because God didn't place that fear in it. That's why your dog lets you pet him. But a wolf runs away. You see, it's very clear what God is doing. And diet here is broadened, but now they eat animals. So again, it appears that prior to this, they must have been all vegetarians. Okay? Now before we get all excited, like maybe we should only eat vegetables, uh-uh. God says that every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. Eat it all. Go ahead. Eat your bears, eat your cattle, eat your lizards, eat your snakes, eat it all. It is wide open for us. You can eat the smallmouth bass. It's fine. Eat it. Eat it. Eat it. You know what this says to me? I I really believe something must have changed. Something must have changed in the worldwide flood. I think prior to this, maybe they could live as a vegetarian. Maybe the vegetable life was enough. But now God says, no, you need to eat those animals. So they did. They did. I want to show you that life is protected. Okay, we, we, we saw it in verse number 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Again, I think this represents a change. Remember when Cain killed his brother Abel? And what did God do? Did God demand his life? Did God snuff him out? Did God bring capital punishment? No. 
He drove him out of the garden. Remember that? What I think is happening here, remember the world was filled with violence. In Genesis 6, it was, the world was corrupt and filled with violence. I think they're killing each other like crazy. They're murdering one another left and right. And God now says, no more. The murderer, his life shall be taken. The murderer's life shall be taken. And by the way, this is where government is, is established. Okay? It says here, by man shall his blood be shed. This is the first semblance of some form of government. Okay? I'm thankful for those who serve our community as police officers and so forth. If they weren't here, criminals would run wild, like they did in Genesis 6. But God has now brought in this governing structure to protect his creation. Why? Look why. Why is it that life is so precious? Why? What well, says there? For God made man in his own image, and they are to be fruitful and multiply. We recognize what murder does. Murder now, it takes away an image bearer of God. And God is all about populating this earth with little hymns who worship Him. I want us to see that God is all about God. He's all about God. He's not all about me. He's not all about you. He is all about himself. And when we snuff out of life, whether it's 75 or negative three months in its mother's womb, we are destroying the image of God and taking away a multiplier. A multiplier. Life is precious. And things are brand new now. Noah's life. Let's go now to verse number 8. And, and now we get to kind of like what I really want to hit heavily today. Verse 8. Then God said to Noah and his sons, Behold, I establish my covenant with you. Now what is a covenant? We don't hear that term too often. I mean, most of us, you know, it's, we think marriage is a covenant. And, and that's actually not really a big word that we use anymore. When I say covenant, a lot of us think of what? Our homeowners association, right? We have a covenant, okay? And we think that's what the word means. It means I've got to go send $200 a, a, a year in and they keep the road paved or something. That's what a covenant is. So is that what God did here? Did some of arrangement to sort of take care of the, the you know, the, the road through the development? Is that what this is? No. No. Listen, the word covenant in your Bible is a very important word. And it is a, it's a technical word. And what that means is, it has a very specific definition. You know, a lot of words don't have a technical definition. Like chair is not a technical word. It can mean all kinds of things, right? It can be a rock, a chair, a cow, whatever. Covenant. It's a technical words. It means an oath-bound promise. When God makes a covenant, it is an oath-bound promise. This cannot be shaken. This cannot be taken away. This is a promise that has been made. Now there are about 
that the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis chapter 12, here's what that was. God promised he would bring a Messiah through a descendant of Abraham. And that was an open-out promise that God made. I am sending one to take care of your sin problem. Trust me. That's the Abrahamic covenant. God made a land covenant. Okay? And this was a covenant that he would establish his kingdom on the earth in a specific location here on the earth. Land, you can read about it, but the past that you have to God gave the Mosaic covenant. The Mosaic covenant. That's basically Exodus through Deuteronomy. And what that is, is God is establishing that we are sinners and we need forgiveness. And God gave the Davidic covenant. And what that was is God said, I am going to send a king. There's going to be a king who's going to serve and rule over all the earth. His name will be Jesus. And we have the new covenant. The new covenant. And this is that God would place a whole new heart in us. So that it would be our nature to obey him. Listen, we are dependent on these promises. Listen what these promises promise you from God. They promise you that you're going to get a new heart. That it will be your nature to obey God. You know how you struggle to obey Him now? When the new covenant is finished, you won't struggle that anymore. You'll be gone. And that will happen because His Son Jesus will come on earth to a specific land and rule as King on the earth. That's a land and the Davidic covenant. And God is going to do that through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, sent as a Jewish man, Abrahamic covenants, demonstrating through his life that he is perfect as he lived out perfectly the Mosaic covenants, all the while, while God is enduring us because of the, the Noahic covenants. That's the covenants. Now let's understand this relative to the Noahic covenant. Verse number 8. I want you to see a couple of things about this promise, this oath-bound promise that God makes. Verse number 9. Behold, God says, I establish my covenant with you. As you go through this passage in verse number 9, in verse number 11, in verse number 12, in verse number 15, in verse number 17, it's all about God. This is a unilateral covenant. The promise that God is going to make does not depend upon man. Now you need to hear that. The promise that God makes, we call it the Noahic covenant, but it's God's covenant, does not depend upon man. See, there's two kinds of covenants. There's, new, there's two kinds of covenants. There's one that totally depends upon God. I'm sending my Messiah through Abraham a descendant of David, I'm sending my Messiah. I don't care what you do, is what God says. I'm sending my Messiah. That's a unilateral covenant. You come over here to the Mosaic covenant. And this is what is called a treaty covenant. And what this was this. God said, if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you disobey me, I will not bless you. That's the problem. By the way, listen. Listen. That's the problem. When you land from Exodus chapter 20 to Deuteronomy chapter 31 and try to understand the nature and the character of God, 
you are now stepping into a relationship between God and the Israeli people, not you. Not you. God didn't make that mosaic covenant of you. That's like you coming to my house. Coming to my house and saying, hey, Lord, you know, what's the deal with these rules you have in your family? I don't like them. I say, wait a minute. This is my family. This is my family. I set the rules for my family. The mosaic covenant is different than Noahic, Davidic, Abrahamic. It's different. Be careful here. Be careful here. Well, Leviticus 18 says such and such about homosexuality. It also says, be careful here. There's lots of danger here. Come over in the new covenant. See the character of God. Come over in the Abrahamic covenant. See the nature of God. Come with me to Noah. See the nature of God. It's all from God. He says in verse 11, I establish. Again, this is another I statement. You know what this word establish means? It means to stand up. God says, I establish. I'm standing here. Push me over if you like. I ain't moving. This is the word to arise and take a stand. God says, I'm establishing this covenant. You say, well, what is that covenant? What is it? Oh, it's so practical. It's so practical. And you live it every day. Every day. This week, there was a neat thing in the news. Did you watch the news this week? So apparently, in France, this guy gets on the train. He's got a bag full of guns. AK-47. He's going to just mow some people down. Did you hear about this? Little did he know that there on the plane were two American servicemen. Right? He jumps out with AK-47. I think he gets around off, around off, and jams. And this army reservist and this Air Force young man and a few other, and a friend of theirs say, we're going to do something about this. And down they come the aisle, they come down the aisle of the train, take the guy out, and they stop it. And we all need to say, thank you. Thank you. That's Genesis 9. Try to take a life? Take yours. But you know what? Here's my point today. See, usually it hasn't happened that way, right? Usually God shoots and people die. And every one of us asks this question. Every one of us, myself included. God, why don't you take these people out? Many, many years ago, God made a promise. Now, we don't understand that promise. See, you all say a rainbow is in the sky. That's not what the text says. 
the sky. This would be the samurai swordsman, right? This is the samurai. I place my sword in the sky. This would be the United States Army. Is it M16 or M4? I don't know. I place my M4 on the wall. What is God saying? God is saying, I will never, until the end of time, I will be patient. I will be patient, knowing to you and all your sins. And I hang my bow in the sky. When you see that rainbow, know what that means. That doesn't mean love wins, okay? It doesn't mean unicorns and pots of gold. It means God is choosing full of mercy. Get out of the car, start 
Let's pray and thank you. Mary. 